0: Super excited to have such an energetic, wild crowd here today. Very, very exciting to have all of you show up. That's usually where
1: people go wild.
0: Woo! Yeah. Uh, Before we get started, just a quick announcement. I want to let you guys know we've been tackling this problem for a long time, helping people find product design talent. So we just launched Jobs, which is a job board to help people find product design talent, right? Companies. We've heard this problem over and over and over again from all our clients, our acquaintances, our friends. There's
1: no shortage of designers. In the world.
0: <laughs> so we launched the job board. It's in prior release. We're looking for feedback. If uh, you guys check it out, zerpjobs.com, shoot us a note. Um, with that, very excited, super excited, pumped to I'm introduce Mr., Mr. Aaron Levy, founder, CEO of Box.net, well,
1: just box.com now, right? Uh, yeah, we, we just uh, what we, so what happened was when we started the company, we, um, is this, this, everybody can hear me fine?
0: When we started the company,
1: it was, uh, we we could only get box.net, so we had to emphasize .net um, as the domain, but we always thought of ourselves as box, and then about a year ago, we, we got .com, so we yeah. decided to drop the .net in the kind of branding, so now you can just kind of, Check out Box and go to Box.com or whatever. And if you search Box on Google, it's number one in all, all these Nice.
0: So so Box.net, the company. We find no, no, it.
1: yeah, we don't say that anymore. Remember, box.com. Yeah, okay. Brand okay. working. Yeah,
0: all right. Let's try that again. Box, Box, Box. Uh, company you started it back in the dorm room, right? Turned it to uh, what is it, eighty-two percent now of Fortune five hundred companies use your product. I'm sure it's
1: like eighty-four by now.
0: Eighty-four. Yeah.
1: There we go. Nobody's <laughs> that's, counting that's an though. That's
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, top thirty on the thirty on Ink Magazine. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I no. saw that on the, on online. You've been looking internet. at me on the internet. I on the okay. internet. Okay. Yes. <laughs>
1: um, so, quick question: Who is everybody? I uh, just saw so you. Have These an... are
0: entrepreneurs, yeah. designers, uh, some people that are just building product R- out there. Raise your hand or designer.
1: Okay. All right. Everybody wants to hire you. And uh, raise your hand if you're starting a company. Okay. Uh, raise your hand if you're going to try and compete with
0: me. Just one right here okay. right in front
1: All right. Um, and uh who's in, who's doing consumer stuff okay who who's doing enterprise stuff oh yeah, all right, enterprise brothers Woo. all right thank you
0: cool so let's let's get into uh early days you have this idea right and, and you're in the dorm room, and uh just this doing, was how did it doing? start you're just uh it was a project for school right
1: uh yeah well, well it was a confluence of things that so if you remember two thousand and five uh, actually Remember 2004 on the internet. Who remembers 2004 on the internet? Okay, great. Okay. Yes. So you had um, that was a pretty ugly period on the internet. You basically had it was sort of post-apocalypse kind of bubble stuff. Um, so you you had maybe a few kind of tech companies that were growing. Facebook had just just started. You know, Friendster was was the the hottest thing on the internet. Um, and uh, and so there was just uh, you know not a lot of of. As much innovation as there was today, uh, you know, as there is today, and, and in, in 2004, when we looked out at the internet, um, it was really, really difficult to just share data and share information. And, and you had companies that were started in the late 90s, um, like XDrive and iDrive and Driveway.com. And um, a funny kind of small fact that, that some people will remember: MySpace was actually an online storage service before it was a social network. So they actually took the domain name and turned it into a social network. But uh, if you go back to MySpace.com. Um, on like archive.org in 1999, it was an online storage service. So, so what happened is in, in 2004 there were very few, um, very few of these companies. First of all, had survived. They, a lot of them had, had gone out of business, and um, and very few of them beyond that had updated their business models and their technologies to sort of support, a, you know, a kind of 2004-2005 ecosystem. So the storage limits were like you would get like 10 megabytes of free space on the internet, um, in you know, still in, in 2004, even though the cost of storage had dropped by about 10x. Um, and uh, the interfaces were were just horrible, like god awful. They looked like they were from like you know DOS, right? So just you know not great you know design. Even though Ajax was emerging, and you could make a much better you know user experience around managing your files. And so in 2004, we looked at, at the internet, and um, it seemed like there was this this big problem that could be you know solved around how do you store and share your data from from anywhere? Um, and that's why we decided to, to start Box. And then it, it kind of coincided with a, a, a project that, that we were also doing for school.
0: So you uh, you emailed Mark Cuban. And how, what was that exchange like? That was a little bit later in the process, um, okay. but
1: uh, but we yeah um, uh, the uh, that was not like the first thing I did when when starting. We the were company. like, email <laughs> Mark Cuban. Company, I have to reach out to Mark Cuban. That is, <laughs> these are the only two events that are necessary to be on entrepreneur. Okay. There you go. Um, so uh, so we, we we started the company, uh, designed the product, built it up. Um, users started you know coming on board. We actually um, remember if you remember the the so remember who raise your hand if you were. Hanging out on the internet doing nothing in 2004 again. Okay, so like the top blog in technology was Engadget and Gizmodo at the time, right? There was no TechCrunch, there was no, right. Right. there you know right. ThePandoDaily. No there was maybe there was. I don't think there was ReadWriteWeb. Was there? No. am I wrong? Okay, so uh, you know GigaOm didn't exist yet. You know, Home right. was still at Business 2.0 or whatever. So. Very yeah. little in, in the way of, like, how do you go and market these services, no Twitter. So the first thing we did was actually did a contest on Engadget, um, and then we replicate, or we did it on Gizmodo first and then did it on G- Engadget, where, um, where we gave away, I think we gave away five gigabytes of space to, like, the winner of this contest. Um, nice. And that was, like, the most, you know, that was the largest number we could think of, like, to, to give out for free. <laughs> Um, uh, for, like, this winner of this blog contest. So we just started doing these, these things to help kind of virally promote the service, and, and it started picking up and it started working. Um, and mind you, that the, the product wasn't uh, free at that point. So we, it was a pay-only service. We, uh, uh, we, were, uh, we were kind of classic business people, and you sort of had, you know, you wanted revenue right. to exceed your, your costs. Um, and uh, and so we decided that we'll charge for the service, uh, and that will be the way that, that we do That's that. That's how people did it back then. Isn't it? In the no, days of, of uh, your <laughs> nothing is free um, back yeah. then. Yeah, yeah They uh, uh, so this was before like the mass popularization of, of uh, popularization of, of freemium and whatnot, um, which we kind of later trying kind of to hook onto. But uh, but it was a pay only service, and and eventually what happened was we moved to Seattle for the summer to run the company in the middle of uh, in the summer of two thousand five from our hometown in Seattle, and. Um, Anybody from Seattle here? Okay. Yes. How do you like it?
0: There or here? Here's Seattle.
1: Oh, I like it. They hear better. Okay. yeah. All right. So anyway. All right, yeah. yeah. A data point of one. But um, uh, I I think that's consistent with 100% of people that I talk to. So so basically, in Seattle, Seattle is anybody else? There has to be one more person from Seattle. Who didn't raise their hand? No? This is amazing. Okay. so I can talk to any Seattle shit I want. All right. So. Even the people who look grunge, like, 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 you're not even from Seattle? Like, okay. All right. So, um, so in Ce- Seattle lags Silicon Valley by about four to, to 12 years in, in Internet like evolution. So what happens is, like, you know, something crazy will happen down here, and then Seattle people about read about it on blogs, like, three and a half years later. So like, so like by two thousand and five, we were like we, we were this nineteen and twenty year old you know kid um, and my co-founder we were going to venture capitalists in Seattle trying to pitch them on funding this new startup and they were like, like listen the last couple kids we funded were were like in ninety nine and we lost you know all of our money so we're not doing that again that's crazy and it, it, like our. Our co-founder, uh, God bless him, uh, looks like, at 19, he looked like he was 12 and a half. And so, so it looked like he was going to run off to Disneyland with the money. So I, I respect why they wouldn't want to fund him. Um, but but me, I mean, but, but so.
0: Manly, stallion. Yeah, you. This, yeah. Is, this
1: is what you were getting, just in a smaller frame back then. Um, but uh, uh, so it makes sense that, you know, we, we ended up at, the, like, the last moment, some, like, real estate mogul and, like, some other dude in Seattle ended up putting together uh, enough money um, back in the day when your your angel round was $80,000. We, we pulled it all together um, and uh, raised that. And then we started growing faster, and we, we ended up reaching out to Mark Cuban um, at that point and uh, and actually didn't want his money necessarily. We, we just wanted him. Again, remember the Internet. 2005 now. Like, top 10 blog on the Internet was probably blogmaverick.com. So we just wanted the guy to like promote the service and just like talk about it so we right. were just introducing him to the company and uh, and then he ended up responding saying you know hey are you guys raising money um, do you want do an investment so that was cool so we, we didn't even necessarily have to pitch him on on it um, so that's now now I'm up to the point in your story
0: so okay. you, you get, <laughs> get, some, get you some investments yep. from uh, some investment from uh, Mark Cuban uh, talk talk about the the Business model and yeah. the, the disagreement there. Oh. premium versus paid, right? Yeah. And with Mark Cuban okay. going back and forth. So you've read the internet. Okay. <laughs> I, I read <agree laughs> the internet. Okay. Yeah. So uh,
1: so here's what happened. So Mark Cuban is, uh, anybody invested in by Mark Cuban or no Mark Cuban? Raise your hand. So I just know who I'm offending. You? No, I know him. You know him? I don't know him personally. That- You've heard of him? Okay. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. I could see why you'd be the only person to raise your hand, then. If, if okay. Raise your hand if you know who Mark Cuban is. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. All right. So, all right. Um, that's fine. Uh, so, Mark Cuban is awesome. Um, but he's really, really eccentric. And that's what happens when you make billions of dollars, it turns out. Um, so, uh, so, what happened was we... Uh he invested in box when we were a pay-only service. And the idea was you you pay for the storage in the cloud and you will use it and you'll pay for more of it over time. And he liked he liked the sort of very kind of um very in-out uh you know sort of here are your costs, here's your revenue kind of aspect of that business model. One, one thing that's interesting about Mark Cuban is for as crazy as he is, he likes like understandable business models. Like he doesn't like like three dimensions of like weird kind of, you know. Craziness—it's all pretty straightforward in, in his world—and um, uh, so that's just a quick side note in case you ever do pitch Mark Cuban or whatnot. So, so for him, it was great. Like people would pay for space, and then they'll use more, and then they'll pay for more, et cetera. And then we came to Mark, and we said, uh, in about this was the end of 2005, we said, Mark, there are all these rumors about things like G Drive coming on the market. There are um, Apple it has Mobile Me, and that seems like that could evolve over time. Um, it, you know, uh, if you remember the uh, the company Yahoo, um, there was uh, uh, there was this thing called yeah. Yahoo Briefcase at the time. Which you know could have been evolving. We were in a meeting with um, uh, with uh, Katarina uh, and a couple of executives at Yahoo, oh. um, pitching them on partnering with, with Box, and uh, and then like we got an email like a week or two later or whatever, and it was like all about how you know Briefcase was going to evolve to be this really powerful service and that we wouldn't need to partner. So, so like Briefcase was scary and all these yeah. kind of things, and uh, and and so so we said, okay, our way of being more competitive in this market is going to be. We, we, we simply cannot grow at the rate of just people paying us. That, that will grow too slowly. So we said, okay, let's give away some space, and um, we'll just make up for it at, at, at scale. It was like the pets.com model. So it was like, this will work, we promise. Right. Um and, Pets.com uh, ended up doing yeah. well,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> we, uh, that's why we probably should not have referenced that to Mark. Um, uh, so... Uh, so we basically said we have to dramatically open up our funnel. So this was 2000, and this was the very end of 2005. And so we came up with the idea of let's give away a free gigabyte of space online. And and I promise you, you can look it up on the internet. This was novel at the time. So um, uh, so uh, so check it out. Uh, in 2006, you could not get a free gigabyte of space anywhere on the internet. Yes, Gmail gave you like five gigabytes or three gigabytes or whatever it was at that point in the, in the sort of that that infinite thing is, is a crock of whatever. Like it's growing at like. At like kilobytes a month at this point. So anyway, so um, the counter thing, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, but back then it, it looked like it was bigger, but 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 you really couldn't use Gmail for storing information. But people thought that they could. They would email themselves files, and they'd be like, okay, here's a lot of space. So, so we decided let's give away gigabyte of free space, and we'll just we'll get way more customers, and then we'll, we'll obviously upsell two or three or five you know percent of them. And that was the, the business model. And Mark, um, for. Uh, to his credit, you know, didn't like that as an idea because um, it meant that we were going to need to go on and, and take more funding. We were going to have to subsidize the user base initially through venture capital. And he liked the sort of neat and tidiness of a very linear, understandable business model. So, um, so what ended up happening was was he basically said, um, if you guys are going to do freemium, then I don't want to invest in the company anymore. And. Uh, um, and we, uh, you know, we we sort of decided that that then you know we would have to get more you know new investors to to buy him out and um, and then go all along with our model. So so that's what happened. So Mark, uh, so Mark, and you know we parted with Mark um, uh, in uh, in early two thousand six. It was a sort of a bitter divorce at first, um, but I, I think he's moved on. I don't think he cares that much. But um, <laughs> uh, he, he has his money and he's fine. Um, but. Uh, uh, but, yeah, so that, that's what happened. So it was like we got to this juncture, and he just wanted uh, he wanted to go a different path, and, and we decided that we had to go for scale
0: um, and kind of do it our way. How did you come up with just go, like, such a crazy idea at the time, right? Free. Free, free stuff? Like, nobody was giving free stuff away. Well,
1: well, so by then we, we could just, we, we sort of at that point, we could say, okay, let's do what sort of Flickr was doing for photos, and we'll do it for all, all storage. So we, we you know we we were early in the storage market doing freemium, but but not relative to all services. Um, and we just you know we thought that the math would work, um, and uh, and uh, uh, you know we thought we'd just kind of scale it up from there.
0: Did you have some targets you wanted to hit as far as like this many people we want to convert or it won't work?
1: Yeah, we, we had some we had some estimations there. We knew that we were going to be flying blind regardless. This is sort yeah, of just... we, let's put it out there and, and see what happens. It was it was pretty remarkable. So um, you guys remember this uh, site called Dig? Um, so, uh, so. Um, just kidding. Is Kevin Rose here? No. <laughs> so, uh, so, so. Basically, dig. We were on the number. We were the number one thing for dig for like a day. In in the day we launched this, we got like tens of thousands of signups the first day. Within the first month, we had a couple hundred thousand signups because we opened this thing up. When, I mean, it turns out when you give free things online that normally cost money, um, it's, a, it's a relatively easy growth strategy. So you just had to be able to fund it, and uh, and so it was cool. Like servers were blowing up and breaking, and um, uh, and it was just you know complete mayhem for the first kind of three to six months of us doing that, um, and uh, and and then you know um, we we sort of evolved from there. But I can tell you the next part of the story, but I don't know where you're going. Just so, okay. Uh, okay.
0: next part of the story. I wanted to talk a little bit about G Drive too. Oh, okay. uh, I know that that's kept not you the next
1: event in the story, but yes. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, I know. Uh, somehow get to G Drive because I know it scared the bejesus out of you. Yeah, and you, totally. You, and you actually kept you up at night every night. But uh, the uh, no, I mean it was crazy. I cannot. I really. It's
1: like I have. I definitely have. Um, like uh, I have. I definitely have sort of post-traumatic stress kind of from 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 G Drive. I mean, yeah. this thing you have to understand. When you were a small little startup, five, ten people, and you, every day, the Wall Street Journal has a headline that says, G-Drive, going to crush the internet and, like, take every human alive into its (laughs) fold. And you're like, oh, God, like, that's me. So, and and it's like, oh, six, it was like that. And then, oh, seven, it was like that. And, you know, and then, oh, eight, it was like that. And then it would be like, oh, Eric Schmidt casually mentions mentions G Drive, and it's like holy shit! All your investors email you, like, oh my god! Eric Schmidt mentioned the word lighthouse. Do you remember lighthouse? It was like one of the yeah. nine code names for G Drive. Yeah. So, so we just got this over and over again, and and what happened was we basically decided, you know this was now 2006, end of 2006, early 2007, we basically decided, you know, is this going to be like our lives forever, where like any company that then goes and subsidizes this proposition, we're just going to be competing fiercely with, and, and it's going to be this sort of, you know, the, the one fear that all investors initially had was, the great thing about storage, right, as a provider, is that every single year, or 18 months to 24 months, your, your cost basically halves, right, and your density basically doubles. So you basically get um, you, you basically can store two times the amount of information for the same amount of money right so so now you know seven years after starting the company, we can store data about fifteen times cheaper than, than we could at the day that we launched the company so that 's a great thing as a provider because our costs are con- constantly you know lowering it 's uh, it's also a great thing for all other providers, which means that anybody who has a, a, a business model where they can subsidize that kind of eventual sort of decay um, in, in price. Um, is going to be able to to get massive scale. And the fear was, well, Google and Microsoft and Apple, they have these large computing farms, and they'll be able to amortize those costs across all these other things that they're doing, um, which would make uh, a single storage provider in a very, very um, you know weak position. And you know, at, at some point, that kind of taxed us, and we sort of started thinking a lot more about that. Like, well, what if G Drive did... Oh, God. Okay. Who's that? Uh,
0: Kevin Rose, okay. I think. All right,
1: it's either Kevin <laughs> or Mark Cuban.
0: Might <laughs> be Mark. Yeah. Call this guy. Right. We're streaming okay. live. Okay. So yeah. Right. Or no, <laughs> no. No, I not. didn't make punishment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make fun of anybody. Here's hear point. Um, so you talk like so fast. Just, my, awesome. just my
1: co-founder. Um, uh, he. Uh, okay. Right. Here's point. So, so you could see that the costs were going to go down over time. That was obvious. And the question was, would another company who has an alternative business model than just charging for the storage be able to effectively offer infinite you know, computing and, and storage? And now I'll update you to the 2012 version of this problem, which is even crazier than it was in, in 06 and 07. But, but long story short is we, we saw the world as we're just going to constantly be in this back and forth, leapfrogging on price and storage amounts and all these things for a market that consumers... Relatively will not value the difference between these services if one gives them just like, if one is cheaper, they, they will sort of always flock to the, the cheaper service just because mm. we're always looking for ways to save money, et cetera. So, and then when we called our customers and we said, Well, what are your alternatives to using Box? and they would name that, that you know, they could use Apple's MobileMe and they could, you know, use the IHO briefcase and these kind of things. And so eventually it sort of felt like it would be hard to get people to pull out their credit card. Uh, for a personal service that somebody else is going to eventually subsidize. So we decided that, that we had to look for kind of an alternative business model. And so, uh, so we, we started talking to our other customers, our business customers, our enterprise customers. We said, well, what, what do you pay for as your alternative services? And then they started mentioning words we'd never heard, like SharePoint and Documentum and these, these crazy, complex, you know, very high-end enterprise technologies that, that we weren't really familiar with. You know, We were only 15 people, and, and we were just trying to be an all-purpose you know, cloud service. And so when we talked to these customers, and they were telling us that they would normally be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on the low end to millions of dollars on the high end for roughly, I mean, very, very low end at, at first, roughly the same amount of value that, that we were giving them for $10, you could tell that there was sort of this, this wide kind of delta and, and what was then going to be possible? What we could, what we could then go build and, and and make possible for our customers. So we we got this just massive amount of input of just tell us every feature you would ever want for us to build. Right? If you wanted this for the enterprise, just give us a long list of everything. We had some amazingly thoughtful and, and visionary customers that that just gave us every possible piece of security and reporting and monitoring and control and identity management That's and integration.
0: How do you go through that? Now? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's <an> like email. <laughs> and, Text and
1: all these things, um, and uh, and spreadsheets and meetings, whiteboards.
0: What did you just prioritize? Like prioritize three of them or something? Four. Four. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It was probably five to six at first. Yeah. But,
1: um, uh, the first. But the uh, so what we did was we took all this input from our customers. We then looked at things like SharePoint. We said, well, if we do with some of these things over here, we're going to end up looking a lot like SharePoint over time. So we're going to avoid these things, and then. We um, we got so lucky. We hired, no offense to anybody in this room, we hired the best designer in the world. Um, and uh, uh, and and this guy was able to take extremely complex things that in SharePoint, they manifest these things as complex things. And in our world, we could sh- have them show up as really, really elegant, simple ways to interact with security policies and permissioning and like things that are usually, bless you, things that are really deep end enterprise functionality that we could then expose as a very, very clean UI that was not going to expose that complexity to the end user, but would rather abstract that and, and focus that on more of the enterprise administrator. So we, we that that's the, that, that, and and they just kind of long for sure. That's our de- design philosophy. And we can talk more about that later. Yeah. But 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 basically the idea was we got all these requests. We said which ones are going to be most applicable to the most number of customers, and that's the rough prioritization. Right. So which things allow us to execute on our vision and are most applicable to the widest number of, of customers. And we just sort of, that was the calculus, and we just constantly went through you know, what, what is the latest stuff that, that people were looking for. So in 2007, and in 2007, we hired our first um, uh, sales guy, who was also our VP of sales at that time, and uh, is today, and, uh, and we basically said, we're going to become an enterprise software company. So from that day forward, we, we basically decided to, to focus 100% on the enterprise, and we'll just build a different kind of enterprise software company. So one that is faster, more innovative, that relies on end-user distribution and acquisition of the product that relies on a new way of selling, that relies on openness and simplicity and all of these kind of things. And that's sort of where we are today.
0: And so how would, uh, say, Dropbox, when they came in, how did you react to that or did you you friends with Drew? You guys? I was like, that name sounds familiar. That's really
1: interesting. <laughs> I wonder how they came up with the word box. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't. I. I don't want to be like a Winklevoss guy over here. So. Um, <laughs> so. If you invented Dropbox. You would have invented Dropbox. Um, so. <laughs> kidding. Uh, so. Uh, uh, no. I, so Drew and I go way back. Um, and. Uh, uh, we, uh, I, I think what they've done—it's clear what they've done—is amazing. So there's just no question. They, you know, we, we. So and then this will again bring us to the modern day. In two thousand, so remember, everybody remember, Rightly. Okay, so Rightly got acquired by Google, became Google Docs, and um, and as soon as like a week after Rightly launched, and this was in two thousand five, and we, um, uh, I, I called up uh, Sam uh, Chalais and he was the CEO of Rightly. Uh, and there were just three or four people, and I said, "Is there any way that you could take a document from Box and open it up in Rightly and save back Rightly into Box? Because it just made sense. Like you'd have this cloud service where your data would be more interacted with on at the kind of the web level, so in the browser. Right. And then it was actually really funny. And you know, we we tried, we bounced off some ideas, tried to figure out how we could possibly make it work. And then all of a sudden, uh, Sam was like, "I'm not going to be able to speak to you for the next six weeks." Um, uh-huh. I was like, "That's awkward. As, <laughs> I don't know how I offended you." So and awkward. then it was like. Google buys Rightly, and I was like, "Damn you!" Okay, so, uh, so Rightly got acquired, became Google Docs, etc. And the way that we thought about the world was that, it, especially in collaboration, in collaboration, it's a lot less of the, the proposition is a lot less about my relationship with my data on my computer and my devices and me, and it's much more about my relationship with you and your data and the data I have access to that you're working with, etc. So we went with more of a centralized platform model where data effectively gets checked in to Box. And everybody would basically put their data into the central kind of environment. And you could have unlimited amounts of these. So in my Box, I have access to about 120,000 files um, within, within my corporate network. And maybe, maybe there's 300 different kind of collaboration environments that I'm working in. So the model was, you would not be able to scale that on my desktop. It had to be a, a cloud service where the, it was a web-based model, et cetera. And, um, and so we had built up with that as the paradigm. Uh, Dropbox and other services came along, which said, okay, while that's cool, it, you, you, we can also make a really, really easy way to synchronize your data across your own devices and to the cloud. And, and we took note of that, and um, our customers you know, certainly responded um, you know, very, very um, enthusiastically to that kind of model. And so we've, we've had a, a synchronization team um, uh, you know, since 2008, um, that has basically been focused on on that proposition. So um, for enterprise customers, it's all about how you connect your computers up to the cloud. But it has to go one step further because you have to make sure that that information is collaborative. Um, so we're so basically, long story short is so we like the technology, and we have applied similar concepts um, and just this idea of how do I connect my devices, the people I'm working with, the other platforms I'm working on in an enterprise context. So we want to be more of uh, we want to be more of the oracle of this space, uh, minus all the bad connotations, um, uh, because just of, of our focus on the enterprise.
0: Is, uh, how did you guys meet with Drew, or how do you know him?
1: Uh, you know, probably just, uh, I, don't I don't even remember. Know. Yeah, There's... I probably can't even tell you, I do not even remember.
0: <laughs> so. so probably, was he inspired a lot by Box, a little bit? Get What? <laughs> I just, like,
1: I wanted to keep it. so many it. people. Okay. Okay.
0: Ooh, no, no, so we,
1: we, we, been... we, we met up in, uh, it in, uh, must have been, I don't know, 07 or 08 when, when they were two people. Um, oh, okay. And uh, just, I, I try and track everybody who is, who doing, is anything doing anything on files. In space. So watch out. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and just, we got to know each other. And, and again, love what they're doing. Awesome stuff. And it's a very, very, very big market. We're kind of focused on different things, but but we certainly see them in the market. Particularly as like, the prosumer enters the, the SMB and the SMB looks like a consumer, it's that sort of middle area of the marketplace where we see each other most, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, significantly. But then they, we don't do anything in the consumer space, so we don't want to connect your TVs and your cars and your Xboxes, and we're not really going to be the best way that you're going to share photos, etc. But when you're a pharmaceutical company or you're an investment bank... Um, or you're a consumer packaged goods, you know, Fortune 500 company, we want to be the absolute best way that you're going to manage information at scale in your business, you know, as opposed to a SharePoint or, you know, traditional on-premise infrastructure. Gotcha.
0: You mentioned design strategy and uh, yeah. your design... Business. I was trying to
1: fit into the kind of the group. Yeah. Well, <laughs>
0: yeah. The, hey, there's a lot of designers here. Tell me more about that. Tell me more how you guys make decisions. Which, yeah. Which things to bring in, which things not. Well, so... Uh, Little known fact, does anybody
1: remember, uh, I I don't mean to keep on asking that question that way. Um, I apologize. Um, But does anybody remember, um, what was the Microsoft, uh, uh, $2, or how much money do I have? I don't have any money. Okay, so no reward. Um, Oh, uh, no. Uh, High five if you remember the product from Microsoft that was the Photoshop competitor. Um, that was really horrible. No. There's a, there, there, I'm sure there's five, but so I only used one. So, so this is the Microsoft way of doing things. So no, no. Uh, anybody else? Uh, live, something live. Maybe. But I literally don't remember the name, so I'm asking. I'm trying to actually. <laughs> no, no. So I'm trying to get somebody. It was like, it came with front page. Right. Um, no, 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 no. You would, you would, like, when you would right-click an image in, like, front page, you could then, like, go and open and start designing it in this other product. Come on, li- nobody was this lame. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, anyway, somehow front page came with this design, Look, Photoshop Lite, really crappy thing. Um, and in high school, I got really, really into it. It was like because it was easier than Photoshop, and that, that works better for me. Um, and so, so I start, like, so I got really into desi- design in, in high school. It's a lot of kind of graphic stuff. And, and so, um, so I designed the, the first two UIs and versions of Box and all the marketing stuff. So yeah. if you go to like archive.org back in 05, you see our website. The, the hideous version. That was me. So, awesome. but I, but I thought I, I thought I was good at it, and I really like design. And so, um, we've always had we've always had sort of a. Um, uh, come on! Is there nobody that knows the name of this thing? Eight, right? What? Eight? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> you call yourself designers? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fine. Um, so, all right. What's it called? What? I don't think. So. <laughs> can anybody Google this? Does Google think help? Think Bing maybe can solve think. this problem. Was, uh, <laughs> no. No, <laughs> not Paint. Microsoft Paint. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although the latest version of Paint can do some crazy shit. So um, uh, in Windows Seven, Paint has, has finally like they have a couple of interesting things. Um, undo. What? Yeah. Un- no, yeah, you, can, you can undo up to three times. Uh, Whoa. No, no, nobody remembers this.
0: I don't think they what do. The drone, huh? No. I want to say photo editor, but that's not right. No. Well. We have a couple people saying Picasso. Nope.
1: No. <laughs> Microsoft. OK, fine. Well, you can say words if you want. Sure. Um, <laughs> Google. Uh, OK. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so I got really good at that, um, which is, again, a very low bar uh, in the design world. And then, and then now everybody will remember this one, I think. Remember Swish, the, the, the really lazy man's um, flash editing thing? So no offense if you still power your life on that. Um, so I then got into Swish. And Swish, um, I didn't do anything in Flash. But Swish actually is pretty good at doing mockups and designs because you had all the main components. You had gradients and layers and shapes and all these things. So, so most of our website was actually designed as sort of Swish things, and then we would just turn it into a PNG um, and then uh, and then kind of uh, cut it out. So, so long story short is we've always liked design a lot, um, and uh, and and so what happened was we decided that that when you look at SharePoint and Lotus and. Um, document and, and even like you know traditional like just deep infrastructure stuff. There's no design and there's no usability and there's no UI that that is that is pleasant to look at. So we decided we would just like freaking overinvest in design. So um, we uh, we have a whole bunch of de- designers a box that are you know completely focused on how do we just build the best user experience you know relative to what you'd ever expect from enterprise software. Um, and uh, and so we try and do a couple things. We try and first we try and abstract anything really complex from the user. Um, that's the first way we solve a lot of problems. So in, in SharePoint, when they add new features, they add it as just a new button. And they, when they add new kind of components, they add it as just another tab. And in our world, we sort of do a lot of calculus. Of, okay, well, what market is this going to fit for? How many people is this relevant for? Do we need to kind of hide it a couple layers back? Or is this something that you will only run into progressively if you need it? These kind of things. So you do a lot of work to say, okay, if a user is not running into X scenario, don't show them Y information. Right. Or don't show them that button that is only useful if you are this kind of you know person and user so that's on the, that's on the main UI of box and then what we said is enterprises need lots of functionality this is why enterprise software companies just keep humming. this is why Microsoft is you know, worth 240 billion dollars why IBM is worth over 200 billion dollars that's why Oracle is 150 billion dollars is these guys have to build legitimately complex things And we said okay we'll build legitimately complex things but we'll make them abstracted from the people who don't want the complexity, right? So if you load up Oracle ERP Financials, it's confusing as all hell because they didn't do that, right? They, they showed you everything that was possible with the system. So we said, we're going to let the enterprise IT administrator, the enterprise IT buyer, deal with all of that complexity. So we have an administrative kind of platform that, get, that has all the right tabs that you need and all the right settings because you only run into it once every couple months. So we sort of do a lot of this sort of of, of breaking down of, is this something that you're going to actively use? Yes, no. And if no, then it goes in this section of the UI. Um, and, and there's just constantly kind of running of that. And then we, um, two days a week, uh, we have design review, which is where all new products come and funnel through one design review process where um, it's me, it's our product managers, it's our designers, and we just we move buttons to pixels. And we just have to get everything, you know, uh, you know, as as right as possible. And, and simply because this is our competitive advantage against a SharePoint and and uh, and, and and EMC and Oracle because they're not doing that.
0: And how do you get feedback from customers?
1: Yeah, tons of times. Usually not on the UI as much, um, but absolutely on functionality and usability. Right. Okay. So so certainly they're the the biggest contributor to to telling us what we need to do. One of the interesting things about the enterprise world as opposed to the consumer space is. Um, and, and then this changed with our kind of business because because we're freemium because we're cloud we have a lot more scale than your traditional enterprise software company so we get lots of more we get a lot more visibility into what people are doing on the site so we do we have all the right real time analytics of what's going on on the service how people are using it what buttons people are using we'll do meetings every couple months that says hey you know uh, it turns out 0.03 percent of our users are clicking this thing can we just remove it and, and we'll say yes okay you know kill that feature. And so we're constantly doing the kind of iterative things that you would only see from a consumer internet company but applying that to the enterprise and that's sort of our agility and our competitiveness um, so that 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 one is is pretty important the the thing that you in the enterprise space that you have as an advantage though is you have a lot of people in like the sales organization that are talking to customers constantly and this is a, a pretty interesting thing so most most people in, in technology are actually scared of sales organizations because they can then create a massive roadmap and massive commitments that you'll never be able to kind of you know, adhere to. And that was our fear at first uh, until we realized that we can maybe just have a more thoughtful execution of that. So what we decided was, what, so one of the interesting things is, is that usually your product analytics and what your customers are doing on your site can only tell you the things that you have exposed to them as functionality, right? This is sort of you know, pretty intuitive. But what your salespeople can do and what people in the service organization can do and what you can do by talking to customers is understand more of the context in which your product fits in their world. It's the things that happen before they use your product that then help instruct us to what we should be doing next. Right? It's the things that happen kind of before and after the events on our application, the things that our data can never tell us, mm. that we then get a lot of instruction for, for what we should be doing in our roadmap and what we should be building because we can continue to consolidate more of the the ad hoc processes and the complexity that they have in their other applications into a very seamless way that they can use our service. Yeah. So.
0: Well, well, yeah, let's open that up to questions out there. You guys? Yeah. Image Di-
1: Pro. So. Digital Image Pro. Publisher. No. <laughs> Microsoft
0: photo Editor uh. <laughs> no. Image editor. Isn't it image, editor? Image, composer. image, image composer. editor? image composer. I think it's image composer. Boom. Boom. Image composer. <laughs> <laughs> $1,000. <laughs> What's that? How
1: much did I pay you? Okay. <laughs> okay. Two dollars. No, that was when I, that was when I thought I had cash. So I think it was nothing. I'm A perfect. high five, okay. I think. High uh, five. Image composer. Uh, it was high five. I think. I think that was it. Yeah. All right. Let's open. Do you
0: use image composer?
1: Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. What let's do you use now? Hopefully not still image composer. Uh, you name it. I use. It. Okay.
0: Cool. Let's right. open it up Besides to that. questions. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Besides image composer. Let's open up. Yeah. Back there.
1: Yeah, so our, our first functionality was, you know, we, we before, you know, all of the sort of lean concepts or whatever, there was just, like, go out and put together a product that makes sense. And so um, that's what we did. And uh, we, we our first version was how do you store files, how do you share files, how do you access your files from different applications, uh, not applications, uh, uh, computers, and um, I think we had maybe I don't remember. Maybe we had a mobile version. No, mobile version was was three months in. It was just you know HTML version um, that you'd like load up from like a Kioseraphone or something. Um, and uh, uh, so the, the first version was sort of you know plain old MVP, but it could do enough that you'd pay money for it. Um, it was it was already more advanced. I mean, this is the state of the market, right? In in three months of work, we had something that was probably more advanced than the people that had been around for, for seven years simply because those guys stopped building their, their technology, which is an important lesson in the technology industry. So don't <laughs> stop <laughs> innovating. Gotcha. Uh,
0: go ahead. Go back there. What was your distribution mechanism in the enterprises when you are selling into the enterprises? What the yeah, so, so, uh, so
1: now the, the really amazing thing about cloud and freemium is that you get, um, you get... It's actually one of the... It's like the best optimization of the freemium business model If you thought consumer freemium was cool, like enterprise freemium is even better. Because what you have is is sort of this perfect kind of like you have this perfect juncture of if I'm a user, all I care about is just getting my job done, bless you. And I have no budget to do that. Okay, nobody's giving me much money to do that. So I need something that's fast, cheap, and easy. Okay? So that's our freemium product. If I'm an IT buyer, I need something that is secure, robust, and integrated. And that is not very conducive to a very lightweight, freemium kind of product. So what you have in our business model, and I think you know a lot of others are, are, are building up similar things now, is you have the, let's get the viral, low-touch, get as many users in as possible into the enterprise. That will give us the right kind of distribution and spread across a very wide range of businesses. And then the the X percent of those businesses that want the better, more secure, integrated technology, I want it to plug into my... Active Directory system and my identity, or my identity management platform, they will pay because they value those things and they have a pretty big budget. Right? We are we're microscopically small compared to what they're spending on Oracle every year. So, so what we do is we let freemium be the distribution mechanism. And then we have partnerships as well. Like We'll, we'll partner up with mobile you know, device manufacturers and uh, different other platforms out there. But But the vast majority of the product really just comes from the free user base. And it's really cool because not only does that act as a lead gen tool right to into our, our sales funnel it also does this one interesting thing that we didn't realize at first is it it helps us navigate where there is uh, where is the, where there is the need for box it actually acts as effectively a proxy for an organization saying my company can't share files so when PNG has 200 users up from 50 in a week you know that's telling us okay, SharePoint is not working in this organization, and that's going to be a pretty you know, important hotspot for us. So it's it's sort of it's it's it does two things for us. It, it feeds in customers to us that they raise their hand and then they want to uh, upgrade to the new stuff, but also helps us directionally know where there is um, where there's a problem that we can go solve. Go ahead. I have a question about kind of your, your sales strategy in the enterprise and and kind of coming in through business users versus IT. How you kind of manage that, you know, always tension. um, And, you know, is IT starting to welcome you more in? Because typically enterprises are very Microsoft centric and kind of everything they do in desktop, collaboration, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so
0: what's happening is demand. Yeah, no, totally, man. That stretch, I can do a downward. How ergonomic
1: is this chair, really? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's like, okay. All right. So here's um, what we're seeing. So, Five years ago, we would not be able to sell Box to a CIO. Five years ago, the CIO would basically say, I am an all-Microsoft shop. I'm all Windows. I use Microsoft Exchange. I use Microsoft SharePoint. I use Microsoft SQL Server. I use, you know, like people are building applications on access, like just crazy shit. So, um, (laughs) So that is what my enterprise runs off of. This is five years ago. And so for Box to be in the enterprise, it would literally be because a department is running into a problem and they have... Provision box on their own. That would be the only way that we would break into to an organization. The a couple a series of events that had nothing to do with us uh, greatly benefited us and every other startup out there in the enterprise. Which were that Salesforce got critical mass as as a new cloud platform that you could rely your, you know you rely on for your business. Amazon Web Services kind of came out of nowhere and, and really helped the, you know push the cloud model. Google Apps got significant traction for Gmail and, and just low cost kind of cloud um, applications and so these three things started to happen right and they started to get gain real critical mass in the 05, 06, 07, 08 time frame that started to change like remember none no, like not uh, uh, um, none of those guys were in the traditional Microsoft stack obviously so already now you have IT buyers that are saying okay there are different services out there that i 'm starting to look at so th- that those three things happen and then the The next swing that happened was the iPhone. The iPhone came out, and instead of everybody either not having a smartphone, and so thus having no need for applications to run on the phone that were enterprise ready, and you just had voice, or BlackBerry, which was deeply integrated into the enterprise, but all it could really do was access your email, you now had a device that could access all of your business information right wherever you were. But there were no applications that were ready for it. And there are very little, you know, very few things that you could do. So the iPhone enters the enterprise, now dramatically. And all of these customers start saying, how do I start to get information from, from this device? And Microsoft's certainly not supporting it. IBM's not supporting it. Oracle's not supporting it. Then Android comes out. That's another kind of attack on the, the traditional you know, armor and, and system. Then the iPad comes out. And now this is no longer a, a toy that just lets you communicate and you know, pull up a web browser. This is like a real business computing device, right? We have everything from salespeople in the pharmaceutical industry to investment bankers in the finance space to um, construction workers on construction sites now are using the iPad to do the vast majority of the computing that they used to, you know, they would, you know, normally be doing on, on a laptop, just because most of their stuff was consumption anyway. Um, so that guy's a little late. Um, so, uh, so basically, um, so does he work here? Uh, no. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, uh, so basically, you had all these cloud services emerge. You had mobile devices that couldn't be supported by the enterprise emerge in massive quantities. You then had a recession that, that was like the third compounding effect, which meant that, that nobody invested in their technology at that point. And so users kept bringing in their own devices and their own applications to solve their problems. Then all of a sudden, this kind of gets to a, a you know, tipping point where in 2010... The CIO wakes up from the recession, and they look into their organization. They have iPhones. They have iPads. There's Salesforce. There's, you know, there's Google Apps. There's, there's Amazon. And for the first time in history, it is, it, it's not even logical to, to call up Microsoft first for your, your technology strategy. Very few of your technologies are on the Microsoft stack. So Microsoft, in a five-year period partly because of what they'd screwed up on and partly because of just the dramatic forces that they could have no control over, went from a world where you could buy everything from Microsoft and everything would just be on the Windows Microsoft stack and, and to a world where, where everything is far more ad hoc, best of breed. I'm, I'm going to mix and match the, the best solutions. So I went and, so you know, like two extreme examples. The CIO of a, of a major law firm that everyone would, would know the name of is 50% Mac. Okay, and very few of their technologies that they buy are, are Microsoft. This is a law firm, so all they care about is security of data and and information management, and they buy very little Microsoft, and they're all in Macs right now, or fifty percent of them are Macs, and, and that's a, that's continuing to, to tip more in favor of Macs over time. So that's a law firm. Uh, to the CIO of, of DreamWorks down in uh, down in LA is very like almost no Microsoft because they have. The, the people that are actually making the films are on, on Linux and open source stuff. The people in, in, in finance and HR are on, on just traditional ERP systems. The people who are more creative and in marketing are on Macs. They're on they're a Google Apps um, kind of shop. And, and so in that world, Microsoft is, is doing almost nothing to power, power their environment. So I think over a, a few year period that kind of emerged. That's still the bleeding edge. These guys are still on the, the edge of the, the industry. But it's very, very easy to see why that will continue as a trend. And so when that continues as a trend, what you have is a massive market for startups where customers are not just going to Microsoft and saying, what do you have next that I can go and support? And you have more of a world where I, as a CIO, am going to implement the best-of-breed solutions for my enterprise. So it's going to be a workday for my ERP. Or, or HRM, it's going to be NetSuite for my ERP, it's going to be SuccessFactors for my performance management, it's going to be Google Apps for my email, it's going to be maybe GoodData or some other player for my business intelligence. And this is becoming a responsible, like, like best-in-class IT model. And it all happened in a 3 or five-year period, and it's all made it possible for us to be able to go have a credible conversation with the CIO. So,
0: All right, we're pretty much out of time. If oh, you guys yeah. have questions, just come up here after... Thank you so much for coming,
1: Uh, Eric.